This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This is the Skate Podcast, talking Bruins hockey with WEI Bruins writers Scott McLaughlin, Bridget Prue, and Brian DeFelice. Lace them up for some bees talk. It's Odyssey's The Skate Pod on WEI. Woo! Welcome to episode 224 of the Skate Podcast. I'm Brian DeFelice, joined by Bridget Prue and Scott McLaughlin. Bridget and Scott, the Bruins fall to the Washington Capitals 5-4. to four at their last preseason game at home at the TD Garden. And it was a game where Bruins fans got there. Unless I'm wrong, Scott, is the last game on the road? Yeah, last game's yeah. in New York. Okay. Uh, yeah, we, we got robbed of another preseason shootout, you know. Just one of, yeah. one of, the, one of the great time-honored traditions of preseason hockey shootouts. We did. And uh, unfortunately, that was because of a, uh, I mean, David Pasternak's Xbox controller uh, died in overtime. He <laughs> just didn't try to play defense. But um, there's there's a lot of takeaways from this game. I think we're starting to see which players are really making a strong case for themselves with, with the regular season um, just about a week away, I think. And obviously, Matt Patra continues to just raise eyebrows in a positive way. Um, it was also a homecoming of sorts, not an official because it's still the preseason, but it was a homecoming of sorts for Milan Lucic, his first game back in, in Boston as a Bruin in whatever it's been, eight years or so, seven, eight years. So Bridget and Scott, it was a very entertaining preseason game with the Capitals, not a defensive masterpiece. But uh, as I said earlier, there are some takeaways, some players that jump off the screen. And um, so so for you guys, who, who do you want to discuss first? I mean, we might as well start with Matt Patrick because he's he's the story of this preseason. And on Tuesday, he was playing the second night of a back-to-back. Uh, he was the only Bruin player who uh, played both Monday and Tuesday. So, And that was a clear test, right? That's, hey, you're having a great camp so far. Like, here's, here's a test even above and beyond what everyone else is going to be tested with. And... You know, he was on a line with Brad Marchand and Trent Frederick. Thought they started pretty slow. They didn't really do a whole lot the first two periods of the game. Um, spent spent a lot of time in their own zone. Looked kind of sloppy, not a whole lot of chemistry. And then they uh, really picked it up in the third period. And that line started to get going, started to do some good things. And Patra scores the game-tying goal to make it 4-4 on a great play coming out of the corner. He spins off Evgeny Kuznetsov, a proven, you know, 
number one center in the NHL and drives to the net and beats Darcy Kemper. So even on a night where he didn't have his best game and wasn't, you know, as dominant or, or as noticeable as the first three preseason games, he still ends up doing something that makes a difference. Um, you know, he, Jim Montgomery after the game gave him credit for, you know, acknowledged, Hey, yeah, he lost some battles tonight, but gave him credit for bouncing back and then winning a battle and just continuing to compete. He had a shift in the third period. That was almost two minutes where he kind of got stuck out there, blocked a shot. He was hobbling around and it's like, yeah. Okay. There was I a did. point that I thought he was hurt and I was like, Oh, yeah. that's not good. Well, it, you know, it was, it was definitely a stinger. Like he, I'm sure he has a pretty good bruise because he, he blocked that shot and was like clearly hobbled for a few seconds. Um, but he, he fights through that finishes the shift. And it's like, he's, he's clearly going all out. He's brought the effort all preseason. Um, you want to know and- how, you know, he was going all out when we talked to him post game, he was the sweatiest person I've ever seen. It looked like a full bottle, like a full Gatorade container was thrown on top of him he was just he was gassed but he was so happy like he uh when we talked to him because he I, said i think charlie Coyle's the only one who can compete with him in the uh the the sweaty out of breath post game oh my department. goodness yeah that was i mean but he was happy as can be because he knows he made a good impression right i don't know if there was much more he could have done in this preseason to make the impression he wanted to i think he showed that he's not only a playmaker he can score that third period for him was a big one and it's if this is the last game of preseason that he's in and your last impression of him was that third period and that goal that he had that was a really nice goal taking it to the net like you mentioned against kuznetsov who's a great nhl player if that's the lasting impression that you make with two goals and two assists in the preseason then he's pretty much done everything he could have wanted to. Um, And like you mentioned, he played in the back-to-back. He said he was feeling a little bit fatigued in the first two periods, but he got a second wind in the third period. And uh, you could tell that line did pick it up in the third. And and he played, he started overtime um, out there on a line with McAvoy and Marshawn or Pasternak. It was, he was the very first shift in three-on-three. And he also got another shift after that. So, he, they were putting him in all situations. He was penalty killing at one point. He was on the second power play unit. They were trying him all over the place. And uh, I guess maybe trying to see what potentially he could bring. Uh, it, it popped into my head too. If he's your third line center, which we'll get into our roster projections. But if he is your third line center, you need your third line center to be able to kill penalties. So they had him out there on the penalty kill a little bit, even though he's probably, that's one of the, places he probably needs to improve you do need to get minutes from him there especially you're, you're going to want to keep your uh first and second line centers fresh and however we know that Zaka and Coyle are both really good penalty killers so I it, it just popped into my head what how they're going to use their centers on the penalty kill this this season because it'll, it'll be different than last year but um Brian uh, I guess we'll just get your thoughts on Patra too before we get into our roster projections and some of the other guys that we think are making a strong case yeah, I mean, I think I've seen Patra in all facets of the game, uh, not just look not out of place, but look like he's he's making a difference. And, you know, five on five, penalty kill, power play. I think the penalty kill, it's, sometimes it's tougher. It's it's really impressive that Brad Marchand has been such a strong penalty killer throughout his career, simply for the fact that 
not being a long a long body or a long stick. So penalty kill five and five in the power play. Patra is just really excelled, and he's a gamer. I mean, he's he's somebody who you can just tell he wants the game on his stick. He wants to make a difference. He's not he's not intimidated by the moment or who's lining up across from him. And I'm just you know I, I think earlier on in camp it's it's quick how how uh, it's funny how quick everybody's just changed their tone like from well it's just one game you know. He, it's probably better off to send him down to the minors, um, back to back to um, uh, juniors, and then it's like three games later, it's like, yeah, pencil him in on the second line, and it's like, <laughs> I you know I I don't disagree with the latter. I'm just saying it's funny how like people are like, eh, it's just one game, send it back to the juniors, but after three games, yep, second line center. It's like, well, why why were you so like pessimistic on him after like the first game? It's just again, it's people I just think like it's- heard, you know. But, it's but just like I, expectations, I, like the bar was not high, and all of a sudden he just keeps moving the bar, right? We're like maybe fourth line center, maybe third line center, maybe second line center. Like he just keeps moving the bar up and up because he wasn't someone that we came in with knowing a lot about, thinking, I mean, he's young, so he's plenty of time to develop. And then all of a sudden he's been the one pushing the goalpost. And uh, I think he's certainly an NHL player right now. Um, he needs to get the nine games and I think he's sticking on the roster this season. Um, if we want to do the projections or, or what, but he, I've said this to pretty much everyone I was talking to on the ninth floor. He's not going to get anything out of going back to juniors. So put him on the team. Uh, doesn't hurt your cap situation. So what if you have to cut an extra guy that maybe, you know, it, it was a free agent signing like Boquist or, you know, or maybe it was, it's Greer, like whomever you, think you need to cut to give him space on the roster do it because if those guys haven't impressed you or haven't carved out a role from them for themselves yet uh this this kid has has done that for himself yeah i'll I'll push back on one thing because i i think he could get something out of going back to juniors like he and we've talked we've touched on it he i don't think he can get as much out of it this is that'd be a big uh like a harder learning curve, but way bigger of a jump that he can make professionally. Yeah. I just mean, he, he has to shoot more like f- for sure. And he's going to have more time and space to do that in the OHL than the NHL. So you want that to be a focus of his game. He, the one area that you can't mimic in OHL is obviously like holding up against bigger, stronger, more physical competition but you can work on, you know, getting stronger in, in the OHL rather than trying to do that um, during an NHL season. And he, so he was used a little bit on the penalty kill for Guelph last year, from what I understand, but wasn't a regular part of it. So that would be another thing to add to his plate there, because even though the Bruins have used him on it in the preseason, I don't think he'd be part of their penalty kill in the regular season. I could be wrong about that, but I I see at least six forwards ahead of him for it. Um, all that said, yeah, absolutely keep him for the nine games. Like, see how that goes. We've seen how much of a strong impression he's made in four preseason games. And Bridget, as you mentioned, he might play a fifth or he might not. They have one game left on Thursday. Um, but yeah, that nine-game sample that you can keep him in the NHL without burning a year of his entry-level contract even Jim Montgomery 
said it. It's like extended training camp. It just gives you an extra chance to, to keep taking a look at them. Um, and yeah, it means you caught one more person, but so be it to me that the payoff of keeping him around is it greatly outweighs potentially losing someone on waivers. And, you know, as far as like going from, or, you know, the way he's built up over camp, when I did my first roster projection last week, I didn't have him on. I had him just off, said he was very close. But the reason I didn't put him on yet was because I thought he needed to keep it going and finish as strong as he started. Montgomery has talked about that. He said the guys who end up making the team are the ones who get better and better as camp goes on. And, you know, the ones who finish strong guys who start strong and have a great first week and then fade. They're not making the NHL team. They're going to Providence or juniors or waivers. So he's done that. He has absolutely kept it going and has finished as strong as he started, has gotten better as tightened areas up. So yeah, for me, he, He's absolutely on the opening night roster. Um, as far as where you put him, you know, I think we ta- we've we talked about potentially taking that third-line center job because Morgan Geeky hasn't exactly run away with it and it seems to be there for the taking. On the roster projection I posted Wednesday morning, I have him on the second line with Marchand and DeBrusque, or you know, if you want to call that 1-1-A with the... Zaka, Pasternak, JVR line, then whatever. But um, because to me, his skill set, the the better the wingers he's with, the more you're going to get out of him because he's a high-end playmaker. And so the more talented the wingers that he's getting the puck to, to me, that the, the more you're producing, the more you're scoring as a team. Not that he couldn't succeed if Trent Frederick and... Morgan Geeky or Jesper Boquist or, you know, Danton Heinen are his wings. Like, he could, but I feel like Coyle fits that kind of situation better where, like, you're going to ask that line to do some dirty work, to hold on to the puck. Uh, you know, we've seen it from Coyle his whole time here. He's, he's a good third-line center. I think what Patra could do with Martian and DeBrusque with wingers like that is going to make you a better team because he's going to be getting them the puck in positions to score. And now all of a sudden you have a line that can make some high-end plays and isn't, you know, with Coyle, I think that becomes more of a workman-like line with Marchand DeBrus, which isn't a bad thing, but I feel like putting Potra there it could really get the most out of his talents. And obviously if it doesn't work, then you can slide him down or try something else. Yeah, I think the one knock I would say for Patra being on that line with Marchand and DeBrusque, uh, and it's not a hindrance, I'm not not doing a line because of it, it's just an observation, is that it's a smaller line in stature. And I think that, you know, if that were to be a line that were to work out for them long-term, that's awesome. Um, They would just have to be weary of not getting up muscled as a line or or knocked off the puck that said marshand is one of the best puck protectors in the league for any size and stature let alone his and i think patra has shown the uh the tenacity and the workmanship that that you need 
as an NHL player in general, but especially as somebody who's a little bit undersized. So they don't have the natural size, but what they lack in size, those two players have in, in competitiveness. And that's, that's huge. So I think that having Patra with DeBrusque and Marshan and then Zaka with, with Pasternak and Van Riemsdyk, I think that's the closest emulation you could have to like kind of what the Bruins had last year, as far as line structure. Like, I think, I think, having the ability to to slot Charlie Coyle back in a third line to start the year with Geeky and Frederick or, you know, Frederick, whomever, um, Heinen, but like we've, we've seen Heinen and, and, and Coyle have chemistry four years ago, five years ago, whatever it was. So it's like, whatever the case may be, neither one of us on this podcast thought that the Bruins could enter the season with Coyle and or Zaka being a 3C. So you've just slotted people and yes, you're putting a lot of eggs in a 19-year-old's basket, but from what we've all seen, like there's a there's a much higher offensive ceiling for that line of Marshan, DeBrusque, and Patra as there is with Marshan, DeBrusque, and Coyle. Like Coyle has a higher floor than Patra probably this this season, but the upside for Patra is just it's very evident. And I I really do think, you know, I've never once questioned Zaka's ability and JBR's ability to play with Pasternak, I, I, I think that no matter who Pasternak plays with, they'll score. And you saw Zaka play with him all last year, and JBR, as we saw last night, he can keep up, right? And he actually, Scott, I, I won't, I won't uh, you know, take your your point on JBR. I'll let you say that later. But I, am not, I have not been worried about the combination of Pasternak, Zaka, and whomever, right? I have been nervous about the combination of Marshan, Coyle, and DeBrusque. It just doesn't i know people say coil has a two-way game that's kind of like bergeron obviously we know it's not apples to apples i just i don't know i'm a little bit like weary of that combination i don't i think they're going to struggle to score five on five unless they just get a ton of you know production from the back end when they're on the ice patra just has that natural ability to create things and to create scoring chances and drive to the net and, and and his vision is amazing and and as we saw last night, he takes pucks to the net. Um, Scott, I, I, I know what you said about him having to shoot more, and maybe that could be a benefit to going back down to juniors. That said, you can go down to juniors and learn how to shoot more, but when you get to the NHL level, that pace of play is such a dramatic increase that it's almost like you have to relearn how to do it. That's so, my point. That was my point. But 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 what Scott's saying is valid too. It, it, like I'm not discrediting what you're saying. I just think – I guess what I'm saying is like to Bridget's point – I think the most valuable development is his ability to adapt to the NHL pace of play. And of course you can only do that at the NHL level. Um, But this is, this development is amazing. Like having a second line center, not be named coil or, or Zaka is something that's just like, it just, things start to slide into into place more. And um, there's more roster personnel to, decisions to, to, to that we can discuss in this podcast but sh- certainly Patra has made things very interesting and he, his development and emergence is kind of sliding people into their natural positions right now yeah I mean he's been somebody that we were that after every game we're like can we talk to Matt Patra um uh, he's been the interest of all the media attention but even around the city people who are just hearing and tuning in and maybe kind of thought the Bruins were going to not be worth watching this year. And then all of a sudden there's this excitement with a young center that's 
doing things that uh, has us thinking he could even be a, a top two center, even in his first year in the NHL. And when you think about like making a comparison from Bergeron, I think Zaka and Bergeron are probably the closest comparison that you can make. Zaka's game is more similar to Bergeron's on the power play, um, the way he plays the bumper, just his two-way style of play, I think is pretty similar to Bergeron. And then we kind of get to see these flashes of Patra looking a little bit like Krejci and being that kind of playmaker, non-physical playmaker that thinks the game at a different speed than other people. And that's, that is something that you, you can't really teach. And that is something that uh, if you can do that at an NHL level, then you're, you know, you're set up for success. And as night, and he's going to be 19 until March, I believe. So he's going to be a teenager for a majority of the season. If he sticks around, Um, I like him on the second line better than the third line. I thought, I'm not sure. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. How well of a fit it, I mean, it was a small sample size, obviously. And he played with Frederick and he liked playing with Frederick, um, according to what he said after the game. But Frederick's not Jake DeBrusque. Frederick is not getting open the way that Jake DeBrusque gets open. Frederick, it, you know, it's a totally different style of player that if you have him next to, you're opening up more offense for that second line. And no, no knock on Charlie Coyle at all, but he already, we already seen what he can do with Trent Frederick and we've liked the chemistry they've had in the past. So if you're able to keep that together and uh, see that Patrick can handle second line center and who knows hiccups could be coming uh if we're saying like in if he does get the nine games like who knows maybe he doesn't do as well as he did in the preseason in those but I haven't seen anything that makes me think he wouldn't be able to handle it um and he's gonna get flexibility to make a few mistakes here and there so uh I don't I if you go read Scott's roster projections he lists all his reasons but um in terms of the top six I do agree with that and then to get to who now doesn't make the cut and who does. Well, make the cut. just to round out a couple closing thoughts, um, you know, it's, you make like the Zaka as kind of more, you know, at least a facsimile of Bergeron in terms of style. Potter, I've made that crazy comparison before as well. So like, it's a little odd. Then that we're, you know, we're putting, it's like, well, Pasenak like being with crazy, but we're going to give him the, you know, Bergeron type center and Martian's always been with Bergeron, but we're giving him the new Krejci. Um, but I think that makes all the sense in the world. Hey, perfection because... line. There was the, the perfection line. What about the perfection yeah. line? That that encompassed all of them back, and that was a good line for a long time. So yeah, I, I just like I think the the way we have it lined up though makes all the sense in the world because one, Pasanak and Zaka do already have chemistry, and I think on a line where Pasanak and Vin Reams like other wings you want a center who already knows the system, especially defensively, and is going to be able to to do that work in the D zone. 
because uh, you know, as we know, Pasanak can sometimes, um, you know, drift in and out a little bit defensively. Uh, JVR, I think, is probably a better defensive player than than people might realize or, or know. But it's not, you know, it's not contending for Selgis. Um, and then with Patra, it's like you want to give him wingers who you know can help him out defensively and help, you know, lift him up there. And Marchand obviously can. And I think DeBrusque has made big strides, especially since getting put on a line with Bergeron and Marchand. Um, you know, earlier in his career, like when DeBrusque get moved down the lineup or healthy scratch, it was always because of defensive stuff. It was like he would, you know, he would just kind of lose focus, not pick up his guy, whatever. And that has almost been completely beaten out of his game over the last year plus. One of the challenges to him is now keep that going. Like, especially if you're going to, especially if he does end up with Patra as a center, it's like you want Montgomery, Chris Kelly, whoever, like really driving home for, for DeBrusque that like, hey, you're now one of the guys to count on. Like, the, the same way, you know, Bergeron and Martian helped you out, like, it's up to you and, and Martian to help Hotra out now. So um, you you hope he embraces that and doesn't, you know, doesn't allow any of those good habits to slip just because Bergeron's not next to him anymore. Um, but yeah, and, you know, on Coil, like, it kind of, it, it would kind of suck for him, like, uh, you know, he's been preparing all summer. Like he's going to be a top two center. We talked to him a few days ago and he said that, you know, that he was looking forward to that opportunity. And, you know, you played your whole career hoping to end up in a role like this. And, you know, it, I'm sure there'd be some disappointment if he's immediately getting put right back on a third line, but he's also, you know, he's a pros pro. And I think, you know, I think he would have after maybe, you know, an afternoon where he's feeling a little down or whatever. I think he'd have the right attitude. Um, and I think yeah, he'd understand. Like think, about, think about the, the line last year where Taylor Hall is on your third line and Charlie Coyle's on your third line. And you're talking about players that uh, knew they were playing further down in the lineup than maybe they could have been in other places, but they were completely happy, like content with it. And, and were very mature about it. Um, Charlie Coyle is a very mature hockey player, the same way Taylor Hall is so the the concept is already understood that you go where you're going to help the team best and i don't think there's hard feelings about that and charlie i don't think charlie coyle would have hard feelings about it i agree i think for sure like you go into a summer and you 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 see all the headlines you see the writing on the wall krejci gone bergeron gone coyle zaka right and at the last hour i'm sure charlie coyle just like the rest of us were kind of like Oh shit! Who is this kid? Like he's, but he's like, a NHL caliber player at nineteen. Like he, this kid, actually, like, hmm, is he like, is he competing for a top six center role right now? Uh, because because. But like, it should be like a happy oh shit, like oh shit, we yeah. might actually be better this year than I than we thought we were on I paper. Think, like, I think it's yeah, I think it's probably an ego blow when you acknowledge that you're better on paper and at your own expense, not being higher in the lineup. Um, I'm sure he is. I, I'm sh- you guys mentioned that he's a pro's pro and um, look, Charlie Coyle's 30, 31 years old. Like he's been around for a long time. It's like, he's had time to prove himself as a top two center. Um, you know, in Minnesota, he had some cracks at the can, uh, you know, in Boston before Holla kind of took that spot, they gave him a shot. So 
it's not like it's like, oh, woe is me with him. Like he's had opportunity for sure, none bigger than what was about to happen this year. Um, and look, NHL seasons are long. There are going to be slumps individually and team wide. There's going to be injuries, and I'm sure there's going to be times where Zaka's with Martian, and I'm sure there's times where Potra's with Pasternak. I'm sure there's times where Coils with both. Like it's so there's ebbs and flows. We've learned that whatever the opening night lineup is, you know, it's always it's always going to fluctuate based on different intangibles. So, but yes, I'm sure it's a little disheartening. But at the same time, okay, like let's he's going to be a big part of this team, regardless, you know. And uh, and and, and uh, I'm sure he's going to be leaned on and on defensive assignments, not Patra, right? Like maybe Patra gets a lot of ozone faceoffs, or you just who knows what happens here. So, um, but it, I'll tell you though. If you're the Bruins, it's a great problem to have because on it, like 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 I said, Bruins management may have thought Potra was a couple of years away, um, and and sometimes that's what happens. You burst onto the scene, and and you just you just nobody gives you anything um, in life. Certainly not when it comes to NHL roster spots. You kind of have to take it, and that's exactly what he's what he's doing um, because we're not just we're not we're not at the point anymore where we're talking about him being a four C or even a three C and 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 um, shuffling geeky to the side or something like that like no no he's he's take he's taking uh what we think speculating right now we think he's about to take uh a top two center role at least for nine games to start this year which is really says a lot about him and i think there's a lot of people that weren't paying attention to preseason hockey and might turn their tv on game one and go who the hell's number 51 like he's playing alongside Marshawn like who is if he keeps 51 I'm not sure he might be able to change it once the season starts if he actually makes the team but um maybe he'll take he's wearing 51 right now maybe he'll take 37 before it's a 50 (laughs) (laughs) probably not he's 46 no um (laughs) so who's this number 51 and what's his story and how did he end up uh as a 19 year old making it but I think he's gonna be um immediately accepted if he plays the way he did in preseason. Well, yeah. And, you know, we all know better than to like judge any hockey talk by, by sports talk radio, but what? Hey, we, we, we work for WEI. So, you know, we gotta, <laughs> gotta acknowledge it, but it's like, I'm going to be I've, on Gresham Fourier Thursday to make sure they know what the hell's going on. I'm going to good. Good. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, like I've heard like I've first off you obviously don't hear a lot of preseason hockey talk and I totally get that. Like, you know, Patriots are free falling and potential quarterback controversy and all like it's, I understand why pre why preseason hockey doesn't quite make it into a primetime drive, but Not I've I'm heard, I, I've heard Patra's name like pop up a couple of times and it's like, it's been met with dismissiveness of like, he's, he's not really going to make the team. And to, to your point, Bridget, it's like, yeah, I think people are, kind of slow to to catch on to this and realize that no, he's very much forcing his way onto at least the opening night lineup, at least that nine game sample. Um, and even, you know, it was interesting. Even last night, uh, Patra is in the starting lineup. So he gets announced to the crowd and not that like I expected him to get like as big of an ovation as Martian Omar, who got by far the loudest, but I, I did think like his ovation was like kind of muted, you know, and it, it was like it felt like even that crowd at the garden last night at the start of the game wasn't like, oh, my God, we're all in on, you know, Patromania. It was he like did get a, he did get a big cheer when he had a 
like a partial breakaway up the right side of the ice and but Marshawn ruined it by being way offside it was gonna be a good yeah. scoring chance and all of a sudden everybody was like they're they're cheering well, for him as he was and then if, up. yeah and then of course he scores and gets a huge, huge ovation for that but just saying like just going into the game it felt you know you would think if like if the crowds really if like everyone's thrilled about you know this and and part of it is like he wasn't their number one prospect as recently as this summer right like it's it's, already been sent down he's one right for for, you know for two years it's been all lysel and lori lysel and lori those are the top two prospects those are their only two blue chip prospects those are the two untouchables and trades it's it's been all of them. And it's like Patra has just been this very rapid growth and development as a player. And it feels like it might take until opening night for like people to actually realize like what's happening. I will say this podcast and I'm not talking tongue in cheek. Like we, we did take note of his, of his in real time of how he was doing in Guelph last year. And, and um, I'll speak for myself here. Like I definitely viewed him as at least a middle six center of the future for this Bruins team. Maybe that meant third line for his career. Maybe it meant second line or uh, I didn't know, but I did. I was confident enough in him as a prospect based on his watching him in in juniors and and keeping tabs on him. I I definitely thought had confidence that the Bruins found a, a, a good NHL player in him in time, but I did not see it happening this fall at all and he still has to prove it in the regular season but Bridget, you mentioned he's going to get some rope for sure he's going to get some rope i mean everybody gets rope in the nhl everybody makes mistakes um but he's going to learn from them and you know how good of a preseason has he had he's had such a good preseason that he not only is about to win the bruins second line center position but i heard that bill belichick is making calls if he can throw a football so that's how good of a preseason he's had Two C by C by day, QB by night. So that's that's stuff. He's Canadian. I don't know how much uh, they toss around a football up there, but you want to know how good he's had of a preseason? We're 32 minutes in, and he's the only player we've really talked about. Um, we're 32 minutes into this podcast. Uh, there is one other center though that's been putting his name out there and potentially gonna make the team, and that's huge for Sweeney that he has two centers that are young and are potentially going to fill those roles in the um in the bottom six for Beecher, maybe in the top six for Patra. But Johnny Beecher had another strong game. We talked to him after the game as well. I asked him if he feels like he made the impression that he wanted to in the preseason. And he said, yeah, he thinks that he showcased what he can do um, offensively and defensively. Scott, in your roster projection, you have him as the fourth line center, which is something that we kind of had gone back and forth about last episode but what really clicked for me as thinking he's he's definitely ready for that role was there was one shift he he wears um he wears number 19 and Zaka wears number 18 and there was one shift where I'm like wow Zaka's really he's really a strong skater like look at him go and it wasn't it wasn't Zaka it was Beecher's jersey was just folded where it looked like an 18 instead of a 19 and I was like oh my god that's Johnny Beecher and he looked good like he looked smooth and he looked strong yeah, and you see the difference that his speed makes. Not, and not just like oh, he gets out to open ice, but gets the puck and stick in the D zone, and he can start a breakout with his speed, with his skating. And you know, last night you see him; he gets one chance where he just 
blows right through the Washington defense and ends up on a breakaway and, and he doesn't finish, which, you know, you'd like to see him finish, but just to create a chance. And then that line ends up scoring when Loco and Lucic are doing most of the work through the neutral zone, uh, just kind of plowing ahead, keeping a bouncing puck going. And then, uh, you know, Loco kind of taps it to Lucic, but it's Beecher driving the net, again, putting pressure on the defense, putting pressure on the goalie. And Lucic's pass form ends up deflecting off Sonny Milano's stick and going in. Um, but again, Sonny Milano's stick is in a dangerous spot because Johnny Beecher is driving hard to the net. So you see him doing a lot of good things. I think he's been good defensively. We know he would be used on the penalty kill. Um, I think he's been fine there. Jim Montgomery yesterday acknowledged that they really haven't focused a ton on the penalty kill um, and practices yet. So I know that their penalty kill has not been great this preseason. They've given up a lot of high danger chances, but they just haven't really focused on it a ton. So that'll be a project for the next week leading up to opening night. Um, but yeah, I, I liked, I liked that line that they had last night as their opening night, fourth line, which is Beecher centering Lucic and Lauko. I think uh, Beecher and Lauko had an element of speed that I think is a, is a good compliment for to, to Lucic. And I'm honestly, it kind of forces him to keep up. And Lucic and Lauko obviously can bring the physicality. And I think that also helps drag some physicality out of Beecher, who I think has made an effort to become a more physical player and use his body and, you know, throw a check when it's there. I don't think that comes naturally to him. So I think it's something that being around two guys that it does come pretty naturally to will help him. Um, He's won 63% of his faceoffs this preseason. That's huge. We know Jim Montgomery wants another left shot faceoff guy uh, other than Zaka and Beecher's that to me. So yeah, you know, I've, I've said in the, on our last podcast that, you know, I feel like I'm higher on Patrick Brown than most people who are, you know, it seemed like they were just ready to throw him in the trash. I, I think Patrick Brown can be a useful player. I just think at this point he's been beaten out by Johnny Beecher. You know, I, I didn't think Patrick Brown had a very good game on Monday. I'll, I'll admit that. Um, just think Beecher's been better overall this preseason. So, you know, to me, yeah, like if, if you're ro- truly rolling out your best lineup, you know, one through 12, to me, Beecher's in it and Patrick Brown's not. Yeah, I think I think you just can't you can't just ignore who the best players are being in camp. If somebody plays their role their their way into a role, you should reward them. And I just feel like for years the Bruins have been a team where there's not a lot of room at the table. And when it comes to a couple of open spots, the Bruins have always leaned to the more conservative, like let's go with, you know. The, the sure thing, the safer option, the veteran Tomas option. Tomas Nosek, for mm-hmm. example, over Jackson Nika. Yeah, yeah, that's an example. and and um, which, which turned out to be the right call, worth, sure, worth mentioning. Sure. It's, no, it's true, it's true, but just like my point, and, and, and for what that Bruins team was, you know, I don't disagree, but I think the Bruins need to recognize, and to their credit, I think they are, that they're at a different point in their franchise right now. They're they're turning over a new leaf. It's it's 
you know, you're, it's the centennial season. Um, so, you know, you're celebrating the past, but a lot of this season really is about looking forward to the future and building. And, and you just, you just can't have a season where you just throw a bunch of new kids on the, on a team, because if you do, the chances are, that'll be a, a, a bad season, right? Um, that's what people call a rebuild, but what they, but they still have a lot in place right now where they can afford to be competitive while in, you know, um, having a, an infusion of, of youth where, where applicable and, Johnny Beach is a perfect example. It's like, don't settle for Patrick Brown when you can, when you have somebody who A, is younger, better, more skilled, and is outplaying him. So why shouldn't he? Um, you see his first round talent on display with his foot speed and his tenacity. I mean, he, he's giving guys fits in a neutral zone. He's, you know, he's, he's, he's closing space. You know, he's, he's doing very swift and suave stick lifts on defensemen when they're trying to regroup and just, you know, you know, pickpocketing them and going in on a break. And quite frankly, I see more than just a four, a career fourth line center in Beecher. I think he has talent to be more higher in the lineup at, uh, in time. But, um, yeah, I, I, Scott, I think you're right. I think that the Bruins probably roll out that fourth line of Lauko, Lucic and, and Beecher. And I think that's exactly what they should do. It's worth mentioning. I also was impressed by uh, Trevor Kuntar last night as well. He kind of has a little bit of, of J- Jacob Lauko in him too, and with maybe a little bit more control. So he's somebody who I think um, is having a strong camp as well. But but not he was to- one of the transactions, however, to be um, assigned to Providence's training camp today, or yeah, I think it was this morning. There yeah. were a few there yeah. are a few transactions that I don't know if you wanted to get into them real quick, Scott, but um there has been cuts made, players put on waivers, guys assigned to Providence, uh Providence's training camp. Um, and those guys, Beecher and Patra, have survived all of those cuts so far. So Scott, if I think you have the list up right now if you just want to go over. Yeah. There. So Trevor Kuntar, Mark McLaughlin, Georgie Merkelov sent to Providence, Jason Magna placed on waivers, and then all the guys who are placed on waivers Tuesday cleared. So that's Anthony Richard up front, and then Alec Regula, Dan Renouf, Riley Walsh, Parker Weatherspoon on defense. So, so far the Bruins have not lost anyone on waivers, which isn't surprising. They haven't, you know, really waived anyone that I think would get the attention of other teams. Um, but yeah, on Kuntar, I thought he had a really strong camp and he's, this is his first full year as a pro. This was his first full training camp. So uh, very good. And he was coming off an injury at the end of BC season last year. So um, really impressive. I thought he brought an all out effort every, he, he only got into two games, but both games in practice, he was noticeable with his effort. Um, he let, he, so I mentioned he only played two games. He led the Bruins in five on five shots on goal, five on five scoring chances and five on five expected goals. Like it, it wasn't just, you know, sort of like that blind hustle where you run around with your chicken, like a chicken with your head cut off. Like he was making good things happen with that hustle and with that effort. So and yeah, he's, he wasn't NHL ready, but he certainly made a good impression. And suddenly he, I he think it's, it's to... kind of on. Oh. No, I was just going to say suddenly, like, I think he's on your radar as like, Hey, this guy might be closer to, you know, at least potentially being able to help in a call-up situation or whatever. Like, he's now somewhere on the organizational depth chart 
and not just like, well, we drafted him and we signed him out of BC. And so we'll throw him in Providence and see what happens. Now it's like, Oh, okay. Like that's, that's a kid who's, you know, like he, he knows what he's doing and, you know, can potentially be a useful player down the line. I also don't know if we've had it, Bridget, you're on, you're on mute. Um, I also don't know if we've had an opportunity to, uh, to record ever since Fabian Lysel, um got, got assigned to Providence's camp. Have, do we have a chance to speak on that? We have. I don't remember. No. no, yeah, I think that happened a- after our last podcast. So no, yeah, yeah, no, so, no surprise there. We, we thought that, but. Yeah. yeah, and just the one thing I was going to say about Kuntar before my microphone would not turn on um, was that he decided not to go back to college. So he's really – he decided to bet on himself. It was time to move on to the NHL. By all accounts, Boston College is supposed to have a really good team this year. Um, and his line mates are still there. I mentioned um, two other guys drafted by the Bruins that are still there. Uh, Gasso is one of them. But they um, – they, he decided to move on from college hockey and try to make the pros. And he did a, I mean, he made a lot of his opportunity when he did get a chance. So um, he, he's a tough guy. I think I mentioned this last podcast. He's, he will mix it up every once in a while in college hockey. You can't fight obviously, but he was always mixing it up after the whistle. So um, he's dropped down. Like we mentioned, just another person to consider in the depth chart. So um, to start the regular season, is it 13 forwards on the NHL roster? Most likely. I mean, you can keep a a maximum of 23 players, but the Bruins probably will only have enough cap space to keep 22. So I imagine that'll break down to 13 forwards, 7D, two goalies. Okay. So, and Scott, you asked us this, you asked us a rapid fire last episode about some of the bubble forwards and where we kind of think what their chances. I feel like I'm in a better place to answer that now. And I know you have an article about roster projection. So I'm just going to, I'm going to tee this up for you two and say the the 12 forwards that we based on our conversations on and off the podcast, I think we all agree the 12 forwards that will make the opening night roster. Okay. And that would be JVR, Zaka, Pasternak, Marshan, Patra, DeBrusque, Geeky, Coyle, Frederick, Lucic, Brown, um, Lucic, Beecher, and Loco. That's 12. So that leaves Jesper Boquist, Danton Heinen, AJ Greer, Oscar Steen, Patrick Brown. Uh, those five, and I'm maybe missing a six, but those five for one spot, which would be the extra forward. Um, who do you guys feel is that is, is going to, based on so far, earns that 13th forward spot? Yeah, so in my, in my projection, I have it as Danton Heinen, who... I think has had a good camp, has played well. Um, I think you see basically the same player you saw last time he was in Boston, which is he's not the flashiest, he's not the most physical, but he just does a lot of things right. He, he makes good hockey plays. He's a smart player. He's good defensively. He can play either in like in a 13 forward role. He can play either wing. He can move up and down the lineup a little bit, and he's never really going to look out of place. Um, I think that's kind of like an ideal player to have in that role. Um, to me, the, the competition to, for me boils down to him or Boquist who I think Boquist can do a lot of those things. He just doesn't have as much experience. I, I think if you go that route, you're kind of betting on 
Boquist maybe still having some upside. He's 24 going on 25. So he, you know, he might not be done developing. Um, but I just, I think Heinen's a better player right now. I think he's been better this preseason. So, you know, that they all have their assets, right? Like Greer has the physicality and willingness to drop the gloves, but that's kind of a duplicate of what Milan Lucci just here to do. Um, Patrick Brown provides center depth, but I think he, I think he, he'll probably clear waivers. So, you know, you can send him to Providence. Um, who else? Oh, Oscar Steen. Hey, look, credit to Oscar Steen for bringing it this camp. He's still around. He has not been sent down yet, but um, ultimately I don't know that he brings quite as much to the table, but you know, we'll see. He, he is a player who has to go on waivers if he's going to get sent down. So. And he was you. a player in the same position last after last training camp. He was, he made it through all the way to the last round of cuts as well. Uh, last yep. training camp. So there is definitely something about his game that Montgomery likes and that the organization does, doesn't necessarily want to risk the waiver, maybe the waiver wire. Um, so he, I, but I have him outside. They did waive him last year. They they did. He made it through, but there was definitely a conversation about, Oh, we're not sure he's going to make it through waivers. Um, so he's another person that you have to take into consideration that, however, I, I feel like he's one of the odd men out in your equation. Um, I have not been in, impressed by Boquist. Um, I would rather see Heinen or Greer. Um, Boquist is somebody they signed as a free agent, and he was kind of going to be a reclamation project for whoever brought him on because he just previously hadn't reached his ceiling. Um, but I think the the fact that Beecher and Patra both did what they did really pushed some of these guys out. Um, and he's somebody that we originally had projected in the bottom six that I no longer feel he is one of the six best players for that, that spot. So if you want to keep it heavy and keep Greer who already has been with the team uh, or if you want to go with Heinen, who, even though it was a while ago, uh, he's been with the team and also played for Montgomery in the past. Like those seem, seem like the safer bets to me. Yeah. Uh, what you said is exactly right, Bridget. The, uh, the emergence of, of, of Patra and Beecher, quite frankly, I just think they've forced um, their, their, their way into two roster spots that I think the Bruins probably expected to be available for Boquist or Heinen when they brought him in on a PTO and Boquist as a free agent. Um, and then, you know, then you have AJ Greer as like your 13th forward. Like I, you have, you have, you have, you have two guys. I think that the Bruins penciled in, in their top 13 forwards until Patra and Beecher just took those roles. And again, it's speculative at this point because we don't know for sure. But based on what we've seen and, and just, you know, our intuition and what everybody's talking about and everybody's watching the same games that we are. Um, and that, and that, and, and that to me is awesome. Like that is so great to see because you're watching two homegrown talents and draft picks force their way onto, onto the NHL club, as opposed to, you know, free agents and PTOs. Like this is great to see. Um, and so 
it's going to be a very fun, fun season. Like all of a sudden, like there's just, there was a lot of intrigue with this Bruins team, especially up front going into this year. And it was kind of like, well, you know, they're good in the back end, they're good in goal and they have enough up front to stay in the mix, but scoring might be a struggle. And, and, and I'm not trying to put too much pressure on Patra and Beecher on this team, but there's just a ceiling there that if they could potentially get close to reaching that or, it's just everybody there's a butterfly effect of people falling into place now and um i can't wait to watch it so it's going to be it's going to be fun i think i think the bruins i think they have i guess in full disclosure i agree with you guys on uh, on heinen um i did i don't know if i said that but um there's a lot of familiarity there i think you know he has more versatility than greer up and down the lineup obviously and yeah boquist has done the opposite of, of patra like patra like he's forced you to keep him here and boquist just hasn't and um, so I think I think he's probably the odd man out along with potentially Greer. I think Heinen might be that guy. I think we're all on the same page there. Yeah, you know, it's like you think about it. It's like, well, the Bruins signed Boquist to an NHL contract while Danton Heinen was still available, right? Like they didn't sign Heinen. They end up bringing him on a PTO. But then you just watch him and it's like, like Jack Edwards made a comment during last night's game. And he was like, like, I think it was that it was after like a good offensive zone shift Heinen had. Um, and he was like, how could he not make the team? Something along those lines. And Brick said something to the effect of like, well, he's clearly an NHL player. Like he's done it. He's played all over the lineup on multiple good teams. And it's like, yeah, true. <laughs> like, I don't know why he was still a free agent. I don't know why no one signed him. But you put him out there, and it's like, oh yeah, like he could fit in any team's bottom six anywhere. And to me, it sort of almost just feels like overthinking it to, you know, like to look at Boquist and be like, well, his upside, and you know, because he's a better skater. Like Boquist does bring bring some speed. I don't, I don't know that he always uses that speed effectively from what I've seen this preseason. But like, I see the appeal. But it just kind of feels like overthinking it almost like you're you're hoping that Boquist you know can be Heinen or maybe something slightly better but it's like or you can just pick Heinen and you know exactly what he is and he has an edge right Heinen has the edge of of having a relationship previously with Jim Montgomery so if if it goes to the final stage and, of okay and we a, have two things yeah, and a relationship previously with Charlie Coyle. So yeah, I mean he, he's got the upper hand there. Charlie Coyle, Jim Montgomery, and you know, and another you know handful plus of Bruins who were on the team when he was back on the Bruins. So there's, you know, and and, and that's why also maybe AJ Greer is, has a leg up on on Boquist because if the Bruins have to send a guy away, you're either sending away Heinen who has those relationships, Greer who has those relationships, or Boquist who has none of them. Right, so. Yeah. Uh, and outside of their performances um yeah and greer is well liked in like in the locker room um just putting that out there as well as something that like one of the intangibles that could be working in his favor um besides the fact that he's also willing to fight whenever whenever you know it needs to be done um yeah he greer would be if they do end up waving greer like it'll be interesting interesting to see if he clears or not because i think he could I mean, first off, there just aren't a lot of guys getting claimed off waivers in general because everyone kind of has their roster and no one has cap space. But 
I could see someone looking at him and saying, you know, hey, he played 61 games on the greatest regular season team ever. You know, our team could use some toughness and all of a sudden someone claims him. He's also, A.J. Greer is actually, because he signed his contract before last season for the league minimum and the league minimum went up, he's actually making below league minimum right now. So um, it's it's not, I think it's like a $12,000 difference or something, but he's literally like as cheap as you can possibly get. Yeah, so that makes him a target to be grabbed, and maybe a reason why you don't wave him, and instead you, you know, you know, you have to cut Heinen. Um, and that leaves us to the defense, Mason Lorai, um, who we talked a lot about last episode, and Brian, you're really high on, uh, showed his offense again. I uh, scored in Tuesday's game, and Montgomery after the game uh, said he really liked the way that he was jumping into the offense and. Uh, I just didn't, didn't know if you think he changed the, his positioning in where he stands in the depth chart. Personally, I I think that his his skating ability, his mobility, his puck movement, his offensive awareness, ability to jump into the play, create offense in the back end, especially where we still need to see it, to believe it, that outside of David Pasternak and a couple others, that this offense can produce enough on their own. Um I think it's I think he would help this team right now. I also believe that he has some improvements to make, especially in his own zone. And I understand that he's not a finished product. And I don't think they need to necessarily rush him into the lineup just yet because defense is not a it's a position of strength for them regardless. Um I think that I just but at the same time, it's like you watch Derek Forbert and it's like, well, is he mistake free? No. Um, does he move the puck? Well, not really. I mean, how many times I feel like, I feel like 70% of the passes he makes are behind the, per- the person he's trying to pass it to. And like, so like, yes, there's deficiencies for Lorai's game. He still has to develop, but oh, okay. Like literally every defenseman makes mistakes every game. So you live with those too, right? I mean, Charlie McAvoy makes mistakes every game. Lindholm makes mistakes every game. So if we're going to watch a player and be like, oh, well, you know, he, he lost an edge there or, you know, you know, where that you were on the ice for a goal. Again. Okay. So everybody's on the ice for goals against um, the, the question is, does his upside outweigh the negatives at this point in his career? Um, so look, I think that, like I said, last podcast, I feel like an eventual top four of Lindholm, McAvoy, Carlo, and, and, and Lori, I think, I think should be inevitable down the line, which means that one of Forbert or Grizzlick would probably be, um, moved out at some point if the Bruins could like if you if you're third hear me out for a second if your if your D pairs are like you know McAvoy Lori Lindholm Carlo and Grizzlick Shattenkirk what's wrong with that like that's pretty damn good to me so I don't need to see it on October 11th necessarily I if the Bruins start the season with Lori and Providence no problem I just think that I think he'll be on the team at some point this year. So I like his game. There's no rush. Like Patra, there's kind of a, in my opinion, like there's more of a need there. Like you, you want that center depth and you want that center upside. The Bruins, that's a position of need, right? Lori on the left D, not necessarily right now. So it's a bit of a different situation. He's had a great camp and I think his future is bright. Maybe not opening night. He'll be on the lineup, but I think he'll be on the lineup uh, at some point this year. Yeah. I, I think First of all, I agree with like everything you just said. I think the natural 
reaction from anyone looking at a lineup with Forbert bumped out is, well, penalty kill, penalty kill, penalty kill. And it's like, yeah, I get it. Like what he brings there is valuable. And, you know, you don't, you'd rather have Forbert standing in front of shots than Lorai or uh, Lindholm or, you know, whatever. Grizz, like we know, doesn't have, you know, he doesn't have as much reach if he's out there. But as we've talked about in the past, like, if if Forbert's not in your lineup, you can find other ways to kill penalties. Like your penalty kill doesn't have to be, well, just stand in front of the one timer. Like you can play in a way that takes away that one, takes away the scene pass, takes away that one timer. Like you can do other things, right? Like not everyone on the penalty kill has to be willing to stand in front of every slap shot in order for a penalty kill to be effective. Yeah. There's going to be times where you have to do that, but you can like, I think the six guys they would roll out, I think you would have enough guys there with some defensive smarts and with reach, because obviously Laura is a big guy too, um, that you could still put together an effective penalty kill. Uh, I'm with you though, that Laura probably starts in Providence in part because I think you want to keep as much, we know injuries on the blue line happen every year. So you want to keep as much depth as possible. So I'm in no rush to trade away Grizzly or Forbert. I don't think you can get much for them at this point anyways, because again, anyone bringing those guys in is probably a pretty good team. That's like just looking to fill out, you know, one more hole on D. Um, But those teams don't have cap space right now. So you're not eating salary to move them. Like you might as well, it's a strength. Like your defense is a strength. And I know there's people out there who are down on Grizzly and forward or whatever, but you know, I was looking at like the athletic has recently rolled out their rankings of like everyone's position group position group. And I think the Bruins were third or fourth on defense. It was like only Carolina. uh, I think Vegas and maybe Colorado ahead of them for better decors one through six. And it's like, yeah, that seems right to me. So uh, roll with what you have to start. And then if there's an injury or if someone's struggling, Laura's the next man up. So let him go play 25 minutes a game in Providence, play in every situation, work on his defensive game, work on getting more physical. And then if and when something happens, you call him up and he might run run with it and never look back. But um, for now... I don't see any harm in, in starting him in Providence. No, I did want to ask one more time about a guy that we haven't talked about that much. And that's uh Chattenkirk. Um, obviously he's a veteran and veterans in preseason don't necessarily go as hard as some of the kids trying to crack the lineup, um, trying to steal spots. Uh, do you think he's safe where, where he is in the depth chart? Or do you think he, he's at risk of potentially being bumped out at some point? I think he's safe for now, but I don't think it'd be the worst thing in the world to have someone pushing him, which is part of the reason why the the one change in defense in my latest projection is I now have Ian Mitchell as the seventh defenseman over Jacob Zaborl. Um, I think Mitchell's had a good camp. He's a right shot. He, I think could be like basically a one for one replacement for Shattenkirk. Doesn't have nearly as much experience on the power play. Um, But in terms of, being able to activate, get involved offensively, um, you know, probably not as good of a passer, but uh, 
brings some of those same characteristics. And I think if you have someone like Mitchell, who's pushing Shattenkirk, uh, you know, I think you're right that like, he's a veteran who I don't think we've seen his best game this preseason. I think he's still a good player. You know, I think he was pretty good last year on a bad Anaheim team where he was forced to play top four minutes. Like now you're putting him on a better team in a third pairing role. I think he'll be fine, but yeah, he like, he hasn't had the best preseason performances. I'm not super worried about it, but if it's whether it's Mitchell or, you know, it was notable that Matt Grizzlick played on the right side last night. Like, I don't know, something they were taking a look at. So that could become an option too. Um, yeah, you have options, but I think Shankirk's pretty, pretty safely in the opening night lineup at least. Yeah, I would agree. I don't. I don't think it's one of those situations where it's like they brought in Mike Motto, like back in like 2012, like an old veteran guy that like doesn't really have any. Like I think Shattenkirk still can play, especially in the in the limited role that Scott mentioned. And you can't discount his uh, being a champion in this league and being a part of a high powered offensive team in Tampa Bay, a well structured defense in Tampa Bay. Um, I, yeah, I think it's just, you know, he's going through the motions a little bit in preseason. I think he's a good presence to have on the back end on and off the ice. And, um, I don't think he should be worried, uh, just yet. And, um, I, I honestly, I honestly think that there's, there's room for him to be a good fit. And it's kind of like a good fit for him at this point in his career. Just play third line. Uh, I'm sorry, third, third deep here. And, and yeah, you know, go out there and, if you, have, you know, PP two or whatever they ask you to do, um, yeah, I don't. I think he's going to be a net positive for them. I think over, over Clifton. Maybe I know it's a, it's a. I bring up bring up Clifton because it's kind of the natural comparison uh, in in and out. But different players. But yeah, the decor is no worse off because Shannon Kirk's on the team this year over Clifton. All right. I think uh, also also Shannon Kirk's a great interview, and I'm all for keeping any and all great interviews. It's yes. it's, it's one it's one reason I would be uh, bummed to see AJ Greer go, but. Uh, Bridget also, um, worth mentioning. I'm not even, I'm not even being funny right now. They're growing on me. I told you they would. I told you. I still wish it was their, their normal yellow, but the actual design they're growing on me and, um, add in the third jersey that I really like that they're going to probably wear 15 times because of the, uh, original six games that they're using them every single time. Um, you know, I, I think if the Bruins just take these uniforms next year and just substitute the glitter gold for like the the yellow they've always used, let's rock and roll for the next hundred years. <laughs> I, I think I think I've come around on the white ones quite a bit for sure. The the black ones still feel a little off to me, but we'll see. We'll see. They 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 might grow on me at some point as well. They've grown also- since they were, you know, introduced. They've grown just incrementally as we see them more yeah also i think it's like there's a different perspective of the black ones so far i've only seen from level nine at the garden because i've been at the games and the white ones i've seen on tv like i think this is like hard to explain to people but like i do think there's like a difference in how i look at them especially the black ones because you're looking down and you just like notice all kind of the open space just on the top half of the uniform until you get to the 47 stripes in the sleeves. Right. And then, yeah, but to your point, like on TV, like, so if I was in your position where I'm just watching it from a bird's eye view, I'd probably feel the same way. 
but similar to how you watch them on the road, like when you're watching them at home on Nesson, like, um, like, you know, during play, it still takes them getting used to. I like the design in general as a hockey uniform. For me, it was always like, you don't look like the Bruins. You look like a, a Vegas alternate jersey. But, you know, between whistles and stuff, like when, you know, when you see a player skate to the bench or it's like a close-up on somebody and you see the emblem there, like, you know, you get those close-ups and those camera angles on TV you don't see when you're covering the game live. But um, like I said, I still don't like the gold aspect. And just, and just so we're – the Bruins, I think, know this too because – and I know this is a this is like the most Brian thing ever, but when they when they post pictures of like their on Twitter and whatnot or Instagram of like like uh, you know like um, one one after two whatever it's like a picture of a player in action, they and we know I think we know who runs their social media, but like they 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 use like a filter that like makes it like makes the uniforms look more yellow than like they are in real life, like in th- they're gold in real life. And then, like, if they post a picture, you'll notice, like, it's, like, saturated. So it looks more like a traditional Bruins color than it does in person. So they're seeing seeing the little criticisms that were out there, and I think they're trying to rectify them in post-production. They saw your DMs. I mean, I I think think that was – I think, like, that's pretty much what everybody said when they debuted the uniforms. Everybody pretty much said, like, like, the design's fine. The – you know, too many stripes can be forgiven, but people were just like, it's just the wrong color. Like, aside from that, it was fine. So, anywho, I guess we'll find out. But you guys are both, uh, I think you guys are all set for, for this episode. Any any final comments? No, I think, think all good. Got one, one more preseason game Thursday night, I'm sure. You know, we'll be reacting to that, and maybe, you know, if they do a re- big round of cuts at some point. Um but yeah, Jim Montgomery said they expect to be down to basically their opening night roster by the weekend. He said he doesn't imagine having many more um, decisions to make come the weekend. So, uh, you know, it's all going to be happening over the next couple of days here. All right, Bridget, I'll assume that you're all set. So yeah. uh, I think we'll probably uh, also go over some season predict- predictions and whatnot and standings and stuff like that. Uh, certainly before opening night. So thank you all for listening. We will talk to you very soon.